remain standing, if you may, for the reading of God's word. We're going to uh, study the whole first chapter of Daniel, but I'm just going to read the heart of it beginning in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we begin this study of the book of Daniel and take lessons from his life in Babylon, that we would learn how to live in a pagan world without becoming pagan ourselves. Give us insight and wisdom and ability to be faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The stories from Daniel are some of my earliest memories. The Daniel in the lion's den, the fiery furnace. And I remember my father talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. As a, it's one of my earliest bedtime stories I can remember. And at the end of it, he would always say, and, and that's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. <laughs> so it, it registered with me. And I learned something just in those stories of life in a fallen world. Daniel was not at home. He was in exile. What is the setup here? Let's read the first paragraph of the first chapter. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure of the house of his God. And then we begin to read uh, what we've already read in verse 3 and following about the context. That in exile, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar chooses the elite, the best of the best, not just from Judah, but from all the lands he was conquering, to train them in the literature and the arts of Babylonia. Now, the pressure was on. See, the strategy of King Nebuchadnezzar was to take the leaders of the peoples he conquered and make them Babylonians so that they, as leaders, would influence their people to become Babylonians. It is the pressure of a pagan world to force us into its mold. And how did Daniel respond? Well, in this circumstance, we have to remember that Daniel realized 
uh, as he is writing his memoirs. These are uh, uh, stories in Daniel that's not exactly an autobiography. You don't you see different stories, and sometimes it jumps from one to another. But these are Daniel's stories, and the way he expressed it in the first place was in the recognition of God. Who put Daniel in this circumstance? If we had been historians living in the day, just watching what happened, we probably would see Israel, who claimed to be the people of God, were conquered by the Babylonians. The northern kingdom of Israel, the northern ten tribes, had already been dispersed, conquered by the Assyrians, and they were gone. Now, the last two tribes of Israel, the southern kingdom, were conquered, taken off to Babylon. And we probably would have written it up as, and these people who claim to be the people of God are no more. Daniel recognized God's sovereign hand over it all. Did you notice in verse 2, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. If you're in a tough circumstance right now where you feel the pressure, perhaps it's coming from within your family. Perhaps it's in, in your workplace or in uh, friendship relationships where the, you know, those who don't recognize God, who don't believe, are trying to press you into uh, to, to their mold. And you wonder, what does it look like to be faithful in, in such a circumstance? How do you respond If you forget that it is the Lord who puts you in this position, that he's sovereign over it, then you've gotten off to a wrong start. But if you recognize the Lord's sovereign over this, he knows my nature, he knows the nature of those around me, he knows my circumstances, he's placed me here and he is with me, I need to be asking, okay, God, what is it that you would do in my life to lead me to depend upon you? would call me to trust in Christ who has given his life for me? Who would, what are you doing to enable me to grow up to maturity in my faith? After we study these lessons from Daniel, we're going to go to Second Peter and see how in the New Testament it, the same thing is applied, that we would grow up in our faith, that we would add to our faith the things which, in the final analysis, are endurance in our faith. Lord, you put me here. How do you want me to respond. That's your first uh, way to approach being faithful in such a difficult circumstance when the world would press you into its mold. Now, the second thing in this passage is that the circumstance is that the king is choosing the best of the best to try to treat them well, to be a blessing to them. It's, it's what we read. The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In my best fantasies, I think I was once like that. These are the best of the best. And the king is wanting to honor them. The intent makes a huge difference in how Daniel Responds, But the pressure is on. The next thing in, in verse, at the end of verse 4, it says, He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to press them into the Babylonian mold. That they as leaders would then lead their people into that same mold. Is this an honor 
or a problem for Daniel and his friends. It's both. It's an honor and it's a problem. Perhaps in in your job, you are given responsibilities that are both an honor and a problem. How do you carry it out to being faithful to God and, and doing what is right? The pressure is on to produce, and these are the pressures that you are experiencing in your workplace. Recognize the intent of those around you. See, that's it, Daniel's resolution is uh, in verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. So it is a problem. He can't do what the king is wanting to give him in honor. But how does he resolve it? Well, why was this a problem for Daniel to eat the food and drink the wine that, the, that was offered to him? Well, there could be two reasons. Now, I think the first one is probably the operating reason. In the Old Testament, God gave certain diet laws. There were clean and unclean foods. And this would have been the problem for Daniel in Babylon when the king is honoring him with the best foods that they offer, which would have included pork and probably shrimp and lobster and other shellfish. If you read the Old Testament, you find that there were clean and unclean foods uh, and dietary laws that it would have been unfaithful for Daniel uh, to eat the king's food. So now he's in a position of having to say to the king's official, I can't eat this food. It will defile me. But that's an insult to the one who's trying to honor him. It's also possible that a part of it was it was participation in idol worship. I don't think that's the, the uh, grounding reason here. Uh, in the New Testament, we find that uh, the Christian is not the one to make the connection. If it's the meat in the marketplace had always been uh, offered to the pagan idols, and there were other things. Even the vegetables were part of the pagan feasts. I think it was the problem with those diet laws in the Old Testament. Now, those diet laws were not grounded in absolute moral commands and, and moral uh, principles. Because in the New Testament, God gives Peter a vision. And in that vision, he sees all these unclean animals, all this unclean food. And God says, take and eat. And Peter objects. He says, I've never eaten unclean food in my life, and I'm not going to start now. And God says, what I've declared clean is clean. And by declaring that in the New Testament, God was making absolutely clear that these Old Testament diet laws were not absolute moral commands, the way committing adultery would be, the way stealing would be, the way murder would be. God didn't say to the New Testament uh, people, you are free to commit murder and to commit adultery. But he did say, I declare these foods clean now. That was just an illustration in the Old Testament. And the big point of that illustration was, in the Old Testament, I called you to be a nation as my people. Now in the New Testament, I call you to take the gospel to all the nations. So do not regard those Gentiles out there as unclean anymore. I declare them clean and you take the gospel to them. And that's what he was calling Peter to do. But for Daniel, he lived in the Old Testament. And this was the command of God. And he had this problem. He would not defile himself with the food. But how is he going to respond? Well, he discerned 
the intent of those involved. Now, this week we're looking at Daniel 1, and the intent of those involved, starting with the king, was to select the best and to honor them and to bless them with the best food. And that was the chief official, uh, his, his intent. The passage tells us, look at verse uh, 9. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Whoa. The officials put on the spot by Daniel's desire not to eat that food. Because he believes that by withholding the best food that they're going to look worse than everybody else. And the king wants to bless these people. And the official will be in trouble if Daniel and his friends look worse. Daniel understands that the chief official is for him. That the king is trying to bless him. And it puts him in the position to think about how to respond with what I'm calling creative faithfulness. Now, next week we're going to be looking at a different circumstance. I'm headed off to a pastor's retreat that I go to every year. Marty will be preaching about uh, chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar says, I had a dream. I'm not going to tell you what it was. You tell me what it was and then interpret it. They were put in an impossible situation and there was all the court attendants. That was not persecution of the church. That was just an impossible problem. And Marty will develop how God helped Daniel when he was in an impossible situation. That's a different situation here. This is not what you call an impossible situation. They're trying to bless and honor them. So next week is different and the week following that is different. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are are commanded, bow down to this idol or you'll be cast into the fiery furnace. In that instance, the king is trying to break their faith. The intent is very different. Here the intent is to bless and honor them. In chapter 3, it's break your faith. Okay, so you're in a difficult circumstance. You're in a difficult situation Try to discern the intent of those around you. If they're testing in your faith and trying to break down your faith, you have to respond with a resolve that's just open. I can't do that. We'll get to Shadrach, Meshach, and Tibet we go uh, when uh, they say, God can deliver us from that fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we won't bow down to the idol. And they just are open and stand strong. But Daniel here, in, in this first example, sees... They're trying to bless and honor me. So I think there's a a creative solution to this. Let me propose this. Now, here's an illustration that is probably unusual. I don't know how many pastors have from the pulpit used uh, the gambler as a great positive sermon illustration. But you know Kenny Rogers, the gambler? You got to know when to hold him and know when to fold him. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Now, I don't play poker. I've played poker a few times in my life, and I've never played it for money. And please don't use this illustration as an excuse to go out and develop a gambling addiction, okay? (laughs) However, at the table, what really counts is if you can read the tells, read the eyes of those around the table to know and try to discern what's the circumstance here. What is... What is it 
time to do in the way I play my hand. If you discern that there are those in your family who really just want to be close to you, and so they're trying to conform you into their Babylonian mold, whatever it is, but they really just want to be close to you, don't respond with a kind of, I can't go with you, I can't do this with you, you're just bad, and I'm going to be faithful. Come up with a creative alternative and honor their intent to be close to you, even as you resolve not to be compromised in your faith. Do you see that? There's an insight there that makes makes a difference. And so Daniel comes up with a proposal that uh, I'm calling creative faithfulness. I hope that sticks in your minds because sometimes we think it's either this or that. Either I go along and I'm unfaithful, or I'm faithful, and I'm, I'm, I'm obnoxious. It's, it's not the either or there. How can you honor the intent of those who are trying to honor you, be close to you, be friends with you, bless you, even when they're pressing you into their mold? Daniel comes up with this uh, solution. In verse 11, it says, Daniel then said, to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel. Now he's talking with the guard, not even the chief official here. He's not trying to be sneaky, but he's being measured. He has a proposal uh, for Daniel and his, his friends. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, this is all in the context of Daniel asking the chief official for permission. Did you see that back in verse 8? He, he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So he's not being sneaky with the chief official. In fact, he shows respect for the authority and the intent of the chief official. He asked for permission. He had resolved not to defile himself. But he goes to, the, to his boss and asks for permission not to defile himself because of his laws that he was under. And he has this idea. And he's not going to press it even on the chief official right now. He says, just for 10 days to the guard who's in charge over him. He says, just give us the vegetables. Now, as he proposes this 10-day test, it's not overweening. It's not overburdensome. It's just for 10 days. And if it doesn't work out, then he'll figure it out then. But I think Daniel believes that God will bless in this. And the the guard will then be able to show the chief official, this is working. And beyond that, Daniel sacrificed rights that he had to make it easy for those to whom he appealed uh, to uh, fulfill his, his desires, to accommodate him. What do I mean by that? Daniel had the right as an Israelite, to eat all kinds of meat. They had lamb that was sacrificed to God that were part of the feast. They had uh, beef, and and there were all sorts of things they could eat. They could eat the fish with the the scales and the fins. There was a lot that he could enjoy, but Daniel didn't go and say, I can't eat your food. Here's what I require. And I, I don't want to be left out, so if you want to honor me, then give me, give me you know, lamb. Lamb chops, just love them. Like, give, me, give me a fish, give me salmon. Like, roast salmon, you can't beat that. He didn't start making requirements that made it hard for those in charge to accommodate him. He sacrificed his rights in order to make it easy. He just said, look, 
just give us the vegetables that you've prepared. He made it a small potatoes problem. And that was deliberate. And so the guard could say, you don't have to eat the meat. I'll just give you the vegetables. Are you willing in the circumstances that are hard for you to sacrifice your rights when you know that somebody's trying to be friends with you, trying to bless you, trying to honor you with this promotion, that you come up with solutions where you're not trying to still get everything you possibly can and be faithful. The point is not that. The point is to be faithful and to make it easy for others around you to accommodate that. There's a selflessness in that. So Daniel made that appeal in his creative proposal uh, to just eat the vegetables for 10 days. And God granted favor so that everybody won. Read uh, verse 15 and following. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Now, I want that as they, the food was not the only regimen. They were young, athletic. They were doing all sorts of physical uh, you know, discipline things. And Daniel and his friends applied themselves to the rigors of their training. So it wasn't just that the food made them better. They worked hard at what they were doing. And by that, they won the favor of those over them. If you're in a tough place in your family or your workplace? Are you willing not only to sacrifice your rights, but to go the extra mile? Your best witness at your work is when you do your job to the best of your ability. It's not stopping doing your job to talk with somebody about Christ and then your boss is saying, what are you doing? I'm paying you for this. It's when you do the job well and he ends up asking, you do a great job. What motivates you? He says, I not only serve you and my company, but I serve my my God and, and Savior Jesus Christ. And he's always looking. And I just delight in pleasing him. Whoa, he says, well, I like that. Do you, do you have that motivation? I think Daniel and his friends were healthy and better nourished, not just because of the food, but because of the way they applied themselves. And we see it played out in uh, how they grew in, in wisdom and in their studies. It says, so the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Uh, to these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. He didn't refuse to learn the Babylonian literature. He wasn't afraid of knowledge, but he was faithful to God. And he learned all kinds of things and was able as a uh, one who trusted in God to deal with those different worldviews, those different religions. Apply yourself. Uh, to you know, working out your responsibilities. Uh, and that's what Daniel and his friends did. Verse 18, at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. I think there's something fairly subtle in the text here. They are honored And they're honored here with their Hebrew names. Now, Daniel doesn't object to being called by his Babylonian Chaldean names. He doesn't make that a principle of conscience. But they are honored as Hebrews faithful to their God in this context. And the text brings that out by calling them by their Hebrew 
names. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Later, we will get to times when the followers of God are tested in their faith. And the issue is, will you bow down to this idol? And they won't. So they're thrown into the fiery furnace, thrown into the lion's den. That's not the test here. Don't always make it the test in your life where you react to those around you. Try to judge when it's time to hold them and when it's time to fold them. What's their intent? How should you respond? Is there a creative way that you can uh, sacrifice things that you have a right to? Work hard at the things that you have opportunity to, uh, to honor the intent of those who just want to be close to you, to bless you, to honor you. There's a creative faithfulness in that. Let me close with two illustrations. One is a negative one that is from my own life when I fail to do this. And the other is a positive one that is, it was an illustration that I heard early on that stuck with me. So there's value in the fact that it shaped me uh, that much. The negative one is this. Um, when, I was, when I graduated from college, Mary and I got married. And she had a year to go in her school uh, before she graduated. So I worked for the Chicago Northwestern Railroad for a year. And in that year, at the end of the time, I had a particular role where my job was from midnight to 8 a.m., managing the potato yard. And the uh, grocery uh, grocery, uh, companies would come and get their groceries off the trucks, uh, off of the railroad cars, load it in their trucks and get it out of the yard. And part of my job was at 7 o'clock, that was the, the deadline, that if they didn't have their uh, groceries out, they would punch a time clock to say, we're leaving the yard. If they didn't have their groceries out of the yard, they paid another day's rent to the railroad for using the railroad car and the yard. I was trained to do the job in this way, to allow the truckers to come in and punch out their card early, even if they had a half hour to go before they got out of the yard. When I realized what was going on, it took me about three weeks to figure out, but wait a minute, I'm hired by the railroad to, to protect this so that the railroad will get the rent that's due them. And I told these Chicago downtown midnight shift truckers, I can't do this uh, early checkout anymore. And somehow I stopped getting the tomatoes and the lettuce and all this nice stuff that was dropped off uh, on the way. And they got kind of hostile and burly, and it was a little bit scary. But I was gonna I was gonna stand my ground and be faithful. And about three weeks before my job was done, I knew when I was moving to start to be a youth director uh, back in Chattanooga, two years before I ended up going to seminary. In other words, three weeks before I entered into ministry, this burly guy came in and reached his arm through the window and he punched himself out. And I realized I either need to go out and wrestle him to the ground or just let him do it. And if I let him do it, I might as well let everybody do it. And so I just put the word out, we'll do the early checkouts from now on. And I was thinking in my heart, oh, Lord, I know I have caved. And I know this isn't the job I was called to. It's not really honest. But I'm afraid of these guys. I only have three weeks left. Before I go into ministry. 
I, I realized the irony of it at the time. And I look back and, and I realize that I think God gave me that experience to realize the pressures that people can be under. That was just very clear. But there is another alternative for me that I didn't realize at the time. What I should have done is when my shift was over, gone up to the manager of the terminal and said, this is what is going on. What do you want me to do about it? Because I look back and I'll bet you anything that the manager of that terminal say, I know. These are our customers. If it's just a half hour, let him do it. I'll bet you anything he would have done that. And I would have been faithful in that circumstance because that was his responsibility. But if he had said, didn't know this was going on. Thank you for telling me. We're going to stop it. I would have said, and thank you for the job. I'm going home. I can't come back to this yard. It would have been three weeks, just, just three weeks of, of a job before going into ministry. But I could have left with, that was the right thing to do. I don't think that would have happened. But for some reason, I was so locked in and kind of afraid of these guys that I, I just caved. Have you ever been in that circumstance? Are you in that circumstance right now? The other uh, illustration was a, a young man who became a Christian in college. And he wanted to major in Bible. And he wanted to go to seminary and become a minister. His father was not a Christian. His father said, absolutely not. If you do that, I will not pay for your education. And the son went in for counseling. And the counselor said, go back and ask your father why he said this. Because the son was setting it up in his mind. He's not a Christian. He's against ministry. This is a test of faith. And the counselor had the wisdom to say, go back and ask your father why. He wanted to know the intent. And the father said, son, I know you've become a Christian and, and I'm not. But my concern is that you're stubborn and you lack a respect for authority. You tend to be critical of other people and you always think you're right. He said, I don't think that's going to be successful in ministry. And, and I want you to be a success in what you do. But you better have another job to fall back on. Because when you flame out in ministry, you need to have skills to be an engineer or, or whatever else. So you get another degree. And then I'll support you going into ministry. And the son did. And God used that circumstance because the father actually wanted his success. It wasn't a test of faith. God used that to sanctify the son, to shave off the bad things that would have caused him to fail. And his showing respect for his father was the lesson he needed to learn. Hmm. What God can do when we try to discern the intent of those around. Is it a test of faith? Or is it something that God has put you in to shape and mold you more to the person he wants you to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the resolve to be faithful. And when we're in circumstances, give us the insight to know what's going on, the intent of those around. Give us creative faithfulness. Let us talk with other believers, have the openness to get counsel to, to... Apply wisdom to the circumstances and let's see what you'll do in our lives. Lord, when it is a test of faith, let us know that and resolve not to bow down to the idols of this world. Let us stand with you even if it means a fiery furnace or lion's den. But most of our lives are not that. 
Help us to grow up to be, as far as it depends on us, able to live at peace with everyone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.